0: intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of Nightlife with Alyssa Knight. Alyssa and other nightlife guests will explore the trichotomy of passions in Alyssa's life, cybersecurity, content creation, and entrepreneurship. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. When we built up the walls, we
1: were building up Hey, what's up everyone? Alyssa Knight here with another episode of ITSP Magazine's Nightlife. In this episode, I'm going to be covering the more creative side of my life, which is filmmaking. And the most common question that I get on social media, which is, Alyssa, how the heck do I achieve that cinematic look that you have in your videos? I'm going to be covering things like camera body options, The different options you have with lenses, what are focal lengths, what the exposure triangle is, lighting techniques, the different types of lighting that you can buy. All of these and more are going to be answered in this episode and then in part two I'm going to be covering audio. What are audio interfaces? What's a cloud lifter? Do you need an audio mixer or do you need an audio interface? All of these things and more are going to be answered, so sit back, relax, grab that cup of joe and join me for another episode of Nightlife on ITSP Magazine. get started here the agenda for today is really to talk about your set so how to actually treat your room or sound treat your room video like camera bodies lenses focal lengths and achieving that bokeh effect lighting and the different lighting techniques for the face we're going to talk about the rembrandt lighting technique and then we're going to talk about virtual backgrounds and chroma key all right, so for your, for your home studio or your set, your recording studio, whatever you wanna call it, where you're actually going to be filming, the shape of that room is very important. One of the things that I see a lot of people make uh, the, as far as mistakes is concerned is they'll shoot up against a wall. Do not do that. If you have the ability to choose where you set up your, your home studio, my recommendation is you find a room that's more rectangular rather than perfectly square. More rectangular gives you more depth to be able to shoot. And the further back that you can have your background, the better, Uh, especially in wanting to achieve that bokeh effect, which is that blurry background. So if you look at my background here, you can see that the masks are blurred out. You can really barely see what's being written, what's written on those um, labels on the wall. Um, Even this right here, this wall with this picture of me and that lighting, all that is is very blurry. That's called bokeh. So the further away from your background you can get, the better. The biggest mistake you can make is shooting right up against a flat wall. Um, It just does not look cinematic. Uh, It just doesn't look very good. Sound treat the room, preferably carpet or an area rug. So, you know, the what's in vogue now is, is no longer carpeting it's uh it's hardwood everybody wants hardwood a lot of the newer homes also people prefer to do that um that tile that ceramic tile that's designed to look like hardwood that's even worse when it comes to sound treating a room uh so if you do, if you're in your room if your if your home studio doesn't have carpeting um and it has hardwood the best thing you do is throw like an area rug, a fluffy, you know, long haired area rug in the middle of the room. That's what I've got. When I do the actual uh, home tour, studio tour that, I, that I'm gonna be doing here soon, you'll see how I've got my floor uh, treated as far as sound is concerned. So, you know, sound treating the room is very important. The other thing you wanna look at is buying a sound panels or foam core. Uh, I'm going to show you different options for sound panels for everything from really cheap like just foam squares that you can buy on Amazon all the way up to actual sound panels which are a lot more expensive can run up to about $65 a panel Uh, room for lighting and tripods is a really big issue especially with tripods Um, you can't see it here but I have if you look at my face and the way it's being lit you can tell there's a light source right here. So, over here to the right, I have a, a softbox light from Aperture, which is the 300D. And then I have another Aperture light over here to the left that's lighting the background here. So, these are two 300Ds, and that's lighting this back wall back here. Um, when you think about lighting, you want to l- imagine lighting very much like water, like liquid. Wherever you splash that light, it's going to bounce off of that flat surface just like water would, right? So if you spray a hose at a wall, it's going to bounce off that wall and hit everything else within range. Lighting is the same, operates the same way. So this is coming down and hitting me here. That light is hitting the back wall, but it's also bouncing off of that wall and also lighting the back of my head where you can see my ponytail is lit as well. Uh, that's called a hair light so you want to make sure that you have room for your lighting a lot of the times you're going to have lighting on tripods so you need that again that depth will help in setting up your lighting equipment you also want room for desktop space for your ring light if that's something you want to go with on a smaller budget so let's say you know and in every option that i give you in this episode i'm going to give you both a big budget option and a small budget option. The smaller budgets, if all you can afford really is a ring light, these are beautiful lights. Um, A ring light is basically also called a halo light. It's a round circular light, and you typically would set it up right here in front of your face uh, outside of the frame of the camera. And it does a great job at creating a really beautiful round light source in your eyes. Um, if you go back on my YouTube channel and look at the earlier episodes from when I lived in Seattle, you can see that halo light reflection in my in, in the retina of my eye. It's a very beautiful look. Um, so if you can't afford like the apertures of the world or, you know, soft boxes um, and you have a smaller budget, you could just buy a ring light, throw that on your desk, and, and it'll look just as good. Um, So, room for your camera tripod, again, is, is very important. So, everything is going to be on a tripod. Here in front of me, I have a Blackmagic Ursa 12K. That is sitting behind a teleprompter, but that is on a Manfrotto stand. Um, big budget, definitely Manfrotto, they're going to be a lot more expensive on the tripod budget line uh, versus, you know, anything you, like an Amazon Basics uh, tripod that you can get for a quarter of the price. Um, it really just depends on what your budget is, but you know go out there look at the different options. You don't need to start out with Manfrotto. It really, again, depends on what it is you're doing. Um, you know, if if uh, you're, you're all about you know go big or go home, and you, know, you want the best of the best, and money is no object, um, you can go out and buy Manfrotto stand. You can buy Aperture lighting. Uh, you know, you can go out there and spend the extra money on on bigger brands, uh, more expensive items. One thing I do want to make clear here is just because you buy more expensive cameras like let's say you buy a red Komodo uh, versus you know a Canon uh, Rebel, um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna be able to immediately automatically get that cinematic look. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you need to know how to use the equipment you're using uh, ju- you know, the, the, and that's a big misperception. I, I have to say, even when I started out, I thought that that's all you had to do it was like the more expensive equipment I bought, the more expensive camera I bought, I'm going to get that buttery skin look and that more cinematic look and feel. It, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a $40,000 cinema camera. If you don't know how to light your your scene properly, if you don't know how to um, set up your audio properly, it's going to look low budget and you're not gonna get that cinematic look and feel that you want. So don't make that mistake. It's not about how much money you spend on your camera. You can get a cinematic look with a cheap Canon that you bought from Best Buy for 400 bucks. You don't need to go out and buy a, a red Komodo in order to get that cinematic look and feel. So foam sound suppression on Amazon, uh, this is basically foam cord, it's $12.99 for 12 pieces. So it's extremely cheap. Um, They come in different colors, this picture that you see in the PowerPoint slide here is an actual photo from one of the foam sound suppression squares that I actually bought on Amazon myself uh, when I first started out. So uh, my first studio in, uh, in Seattle, I used foam core. There's nothing wrong with it. It does a great job. It does what you need. You, one of the big questions I get is, do you need to actually put the foam core uh, across every inch of your wall? No, you don't. Uh, you really just need to put you know, four, six, eight squares in the middle uh, of different parts of the room on different walls and, and, and then test it and see how much it suppresses the echo uh, and, and the reverb. But again, you don't need to go out and buy sound panels for $65 a panel. You can buy 12 pieces for about 13 bucks on Amazon. So these are the GIK Acoustic Sound Panels, which are for your bigger budgets. These are about $53 to $65 a panel. You'll actually see these in movie theaters. Uh, So these are definitely on the higher end of the budget spectrum. This is what I'm currently instrumenting my home studio with as well. So take a look at this if you really don't care about the cost and you wanna go big, uh, then I would go with something like a sound panel. Well, running about 65 bucks. You know, the, the interesting thing about the G-E-I-K acoustics uh, panels is you can actually, they'll, they'll custom make them for you and uh, create a picture on the sound panels. If you have, uh, you know, license to uh, particular photos and you want to put photos on them, you can do that. I, I'm going to be going with just the black with the um, light stripper on them, just like in this photo. I, I think it looks really classy. Looks great. So next, we're gonna be talking about cameras. And a lot of you may be shocked to find that you can actually spend up to $54,000 on a Red Monstro. Uh, The the price range for cameras are all over the place. So when I first started out, I started out with a Nikon. uh, Then I moved on over to Canon. There's nothing wrong with shooting with a Canon. On the low end of the Canon line, you can get away with YouTubing or even, you know, or Zoom video calls with a Canon EOS Rebel. You can pick those Rebels up at Best Buy. Uh, you can also buy on the upper end of the spectrum on Canon the EOS R5. Several influencers on YouTube, like Peter McKinnon, um, others, that are stand by these cameras. They're great cameras. Uh, yeah, this will run you about $4,000, so if you're married to the Canon brand and you want to stay with Canon, uh, the EOS R5 is a great video camera. I'm a black magic girl. Uh, a lot of you have heard me say that before. I'm I'm just obsessed with black magic. I own everything black magic. I have an ATEM television broadcast studio switcher on my on my desk right now. Uh, I've got a capture card, a Blackmagic capture card in my Mac Pro. These are Blackmagic cameras. Uh, The Blackmagic design URSA 12K was just lowered in price. It used to be $8,995 and they cut it in half. So it's about, it'll run you about $5,000 now. Uh, It's a phenomenal camera but on the lower end of the budget spectrum with Blackmagic you can just pick up a 6K Pro and that'll run you about $24.95. Now the one thing with the higher end video cameras that you need to know is you will not get what's called a stock lens or, you know, uh, when you go to the lower end of the camera bodies like the EOS Rebel, you will get a stock lens with that camera body. But when you're starting to move over to like cinema, cinema lenses, like the Blackmagic um, or the Reds, you're not going to get a stock lens with it. So you need to make sure that when you see that price, like, oh, it's only $2,500 for the uh, 6K Pro, you need to remember that you need to also budget for the rig. It's You're, you're building out an entire rig. So you need to save up for the lens, uh, depending on what kind of lens you want. That could run you a good one to $2,000 as well. Um, it depends on the kind of lenses that you want to buy. And we'll talk about lenses here in a moment. Uh, but just understand that these prices that you see up here are just for the camera bodies. Um, I first started out, again, once I moved away from Canon, I moved to Blackmagic, I had the 4K, the Cinema Blackmagic Design Pocket Cinema Camera 4K, then I moved to the 6K, then the 6K came out, 6K Pro came out, I skipped that and I went directly to the URSA. And the URSA 4.6K is $49.95, but there's no point in buying that when if you're gonna spend that much, you might as well just get the 12K, uh, which is the same price. So the URSA 12K is now the same price as the URSA 4.6K. If, if you've are if you got the money and you wanna go for broke, go for the red, um, you, you know, for about $1,000 more, you can get the red Komodo 6K, which is about $6,000. Uh, And then the Red Monstro 8K is a $54,000 camera. Now, just take into consideration that Blackmagic and Red, those are cinema cameras that Hollywood use. Marvel Studios uses these cameras. A lot of recent movies that you've seen, um, Black Widow from Marvel, all these Hollywood studios actually shoot with Reds. They'll shoot with Blackmagic. These are great. But understand cinematic cameras. They're cinema cameras. Um, so you, you're not going to get uh, that autofocus. So if you're wondering, hey, Lissa, what's the difference between a regular video camera and a cinema camera? Y- you don't want to vlog, for example, with the cinema camera. So you don't really kind of see people walking around uh, with a uh, you know, with, with cinema camera, like a black magic or a red on a stick because it, there's no autofocus. With when you when you're dealing with Hollywood and you're dealing with cinema cameras the, the, you, you don't want something like autofocus you have someone on your team who's actually dedicated to just handling focus um, so autofocus is absent on cinema cameras all right so we talked about the cinema uh, camera bodies uh, what matters? on the lenses is what kind of lenses do you already have? So let's say for example that, and there's, there's different types. There's a PL mount, there's an EF mount. You need to look at the type of lenses you have already, if you already have lenses. If you already have a sizable investment in lenses and you don't wanna to have to sell them on Facebook marketplace or something or get rid of them, then keep buying those kind of lenses and that's the kind of body that you want. So when you're going out there and shopping for a camera, you're gonna see things like Micro Four Thirds mount or Canon EF mount. Um, And I, I explained the difference between these lenses on this slide. So if you already have an investment in lenses, stick with it. If you already have EF lenses, stick with EF lenses and look for an EF body, right? If you have PL mount, if you have Micro Four Thirds mount, stick with those lenses. Find a Micro Four Thirds camera body. Those are things that you want to you want to think about. Now there are some of you are thinking, oh Alyssa, um, but what about the speed boosters that will convert micro four-thirds to an EF and vice versa? Yes, those exist. Um, there's a company called Metabones and some other companies that will actually do the conversion. Um, but so that's available to you as well if, if you want to get away from that, that mount size. So again, what kind of lenses do you already have? Uh, with a PL mount, they're more expensive lenses. They're typically more used in Hollywood and built for cinema cameras. Uh, it cannot autofocus again. On EF mount, those are cre- that was a mount that was created by Canon. It can autofocus um, if the body can support it. So you, know, you need autofocus support on the lens and the body. But, again, uh, depending on the kind of camera you're using, uh, that may be a moot point. Uh, There are converters, like I said. You could get um, an EF mount speed booster um, that will convert Micro Four Thirds to an EF mount. Just understand that there's different types of lenses when you go out there shopping, and there's different types of camera bodies. First, choose the camera body that you want. After you've figured out whether you have lenses or not already, if you don't have lenses and you can start from scratch, then I would go with an EF mount. There's no point in getting a PL mount camera and PL mount lenses. They're incredibly expensive. So even if you say, oh, well, I'm going PL mount. I'm going to go get the body. And you think you're going to spend a lot of money on the PL mount body. Yeah, you will. but. The lenses themselves are extremely expensive—five thousand, 5000 dollars. Understand that when you commit to a certain mount type, it, there's a price tag that goes along with it. All right, um, lens shopping options. Um, oh, you know what I should do is tell you what uh, what I've gotten, what I recommend. I mean, look on on the on the um, bottom of the line. I think a lot of you who don't really care about. You know, uh, you know, whether or not you're shooting an 8K, 12K, 6K, you, know, you, you just want a basic camera, go with the EOS Rebel. Uh, if you want a middle of the road camera, go with the Pocket Cinema 6K Pro. That is a great camera, my wife, Mel shoots with the 6K Pro. It's a great camera. I would say that's more middle of the line. And then on the upper end, I would go for like a red Komodo or an Ursa 12K. I shoot with the Ursa 12K. I also have the 4.6K. As far as lenses, I would recommend an EF mount. They're easy to find lenses. They're, They're not gonna break the bank. And they're great quality lenses. You get amazing lenses on EF mount. You don't need to go out there and buy a PL mount. Um, you could invest in micro four thirds, but again, your body needs to support it. Okay. Uh, lens shopping options on the big budget. So there's two types of lenses that you're going to get with a kit lens. When you buy a rebel and you get your kit lens with it, it's going to be a zoom lens. Right? It's probably going to be like a, a zoom lens from 18 to 35 or, or an 18 to 70 or whatever. It's going to be a zoom lens that will adjust to different focal lengths. So there's two types of lenses that you can buy. A zoom lens and a prime lens. A prime lens, you can't change the focal length. It's always going to be that particular focal length. So an 85 millimeter, a 50 millimeter, 35 millimeter. Those are the big budget options. So if you know you want to go big on this and you you have a big budget, go with prime lenses. The reason I say that is because with the prime lens, you're going to be able to get a much lower aperture, a much lower f-stop, and we'll talk about that and what that means later. But you're going to be able to get a, a more buttery, really sexy bokeh, blurry effect in the background with a prime lens. Whereas with a zoom lens, it's not going to be able to hit those lower apertures, and uh, it's it's just going to be a lot tougher to hit um, and, and get a really nice bokeh. Um, so here in this screenshot, you'll see two different types of lenses. Um, one on the left-hand side uh, is that, again, that more of a bokeh effect where on the right uh, it's not as pronounced. So uh, zoom lenses are going to be cheaper. If you're going to go with a zoom lens, I would recommend the Sigma eighteen thirty-five. That's a great lens um and then uh sorry that bullet point is messed up that canon 50 millimeters a prime lens so if you're going to go on a zoom lens route I'd, I'd recommend the sigma i have the sigma lens it's not that zoom lenses are bad i'm just saying that if you're going to get one invest in a, a good quality zoom lens like a sigma uh canon it's also referred to as the nifty 50. A lot of films are shot in a 50 millimeter prime lens. So I would recommend getting a nifty 50 lens like the Canon 50 millimeter and a Sigma 18-35. Small budget, it's all you need, an 18-35 to 35 and then a 50. It's really all you need. On the bigger budget, I would recommend prime lenses like an 85, a 15, and a 35. I even have a 25 millimeter and a 15 millimeter. Uh, just because of the size of the room uh, uh, and the different, you know, different places I might be shooting. So I'll have a, I have a whole briefcase full of different prime lenses. So I have a, a, an entire suitcase full of lenses, of prime lenses for different shooting scenarios, different sets, different locations. Uh, you know, again, I, my budget is going to be way different than yours if you're just wanting to just up, you know, up the quality of your zoom. Uh, video calls or if you're a YouTuber, um, you know, but uh, as a filmmaker, I'm, I may be in different t- different sets, different scenarios, different lighting situations, uh, and I, I need a different le- prime lens for those different scenarios. All right. So video lenses. Uh, these are the two most important things that you need to remember with lenses. The lower the aperture on prime lenses, the more expensive the lens. So, like an f-stop of 2.8, 2.4, 1.8, as you get lower, as the as, if the the prime lens that supports the much lower apertures, is going to be way more expensive. So the lower the aperture capability of the lens, the more expensive the lens is going to be. Um, again, watch out for the mount type. Don't act. You know, don't. Buy an EF mount camera body and then go out there and get excited about a lens that you've been YouTubing and learning about in in reviews and then accidentally order the wrong mount type and order it as a micro four thirds. So just watch it for the mount type and just remember that the better the lens, the lower the aperture, the more expensive it's going to be. So, this is a great example of why I'm saying don't go out there and spend all your money on a RED camera, hoping to get that cinematic look. Uh, You know, if you look at this screenshot here, the shot on the left and the shot on the right were shot with two different cameras. One shot was shot with the RED and the other one was shot with the iPhone XS Max. Lighting is everything. You know, just because you're out there running around, you know, running and gunning with a red Komodo uh, or a monster doesn't mean you're going to get that cinematic look. Every—it's all about lighting and sound, right? So we all know what are the indicators of a low-budget film. What are the biggest indicators? Lighting, because our subconscious can see how poorly lit a scene is or you know just how cinematic it looks, and sound. Uh, one of the biggest indicators of a low-budget film is really crappy sound, really bad sound mixing. Um, that's, that's a big indicator of a low-budget film. Our ears pick up on that. Our senses pick up on that. So, and there have been movies that were shot with an iPhone. If you know what you're doing with lighting and sound, you can shoot an entire film on, the, on an iPhone. You don't need a $50,000 Red Komodo, um, or, um, or sorry, Red Monstro. So you know, it's something to think about. You could, you could do your videos on an iPhone, but if you have great lighting and you have great sound, no one will know. Uh, there was a, one particular film that I watched, I think it was called Tangerine. The entire film was shot on an iPhone. So, something to think about. Okay, boke. Depending on how you want to pronounce it, boke or boka. Uh, bokeh comes from the Japanese word boke, which means blur or haze, or boke-aji, the blur quality. Uh, bokeh is pronounced boke or boke. Um, so, just understand that bokeh is that blurred background so if you look at the those little orbs that are behind the girl in this in this shot in this particular frame those orbs and that blurriness is all indicators of of bokeh it's 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 the result of bokeh and the the reason you're able to achieve that is your your depth of field and your aperture and ISO and all those settings. So how do you achieve bokeh? Like you know, like I said, in, in the background over here, you can see my closet and everything, and all the shelves are all blurred out, and and that's a bokeh effect. Uh, in order to achieve that, you want to use a fast lens at the widest aperture, such as an f 2.8 or wider. So if you can get lower, like 2.4, uh, 1.8, uh, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a much Uh, Wider aperture on your camera. It's going to give you that really sexy creamy buttery bokeh Uh, You want to use a lens with at least an f2.8 aperture with faster apertures of f2 f1.8 or 1.4 being ideal Um, 1.4 is going to be a very expensive lens. Um, So just uh, understand that. Um, But again, remember what I told you, the lower the aperture that the lens can support, the more expensive the lens is gonna be. Um, You know, the the Canon Nifty 50, I wanna say, is a 50 millimeter lens that can operate at, I wanna say it's a 2.4, maybe even, maybe a 1.4 you look at it um, but uh, ch- take a look at it you can uh, google it uh, you can grab it on bnh video um, or bnh uh, photo or amazon um, but nifty 50 is a great lens to try and achieve that with um, best lens used for bokeh is a 50 millimeter or an 85 millimeter lens again look for the space in your home studio for where you can put that tripod how close you can get it to you and how far back you can get from your background So, a 50 millimeter lens would work for that, an 85 millimeter lens. Uh, The lens that I'm shooting on right now, I want to say, is a 35 millimeter. um, And I think I'm at 1.8 on this lens. Um, So, you know, be far away from your background again. uh, Fairy lights are, are a great thing to add. So, you can see that I've got. Um, Some lighting uh, uh, over here in the background to help with achieving that Orby kind of bokeh effect. Um, Those are called Edison bulbs. So, um, you know, if you can have some sort of lighting, string lighting like fairy lights or Edison bulbs behind you, they look amazing on bokeh, especially Edison bulbs. How different focal lengths affect the face. Understand that when you're moving around within the different focal lengths, from a 24 millimeter to 165 millimeter, the more warped the face will look. Um, when you're looking at like a 70 millimeter or above, that's where the face looks the most pleasing. Uh, on the lower, uh, on the lower focal lengths, like 35 millimeter, 24 millimeter, look at her face. So you can see how distorted. The 24 millimeter shot looks compared to the 165 millimeter shot. So again, you know, depending on the the lens that you're using, it's going to distort the face, and you need to remember that. Um, so you know, but look at the bokeh behind her. As, as you go up higher in, in the, the the focal length, the more bokeh you're going to get, the creamier, butter, more buttery blurriness you're going to get in the background. Um, So here you can see in the 24 and the 35, you know, there's a lot of distortion there. But as soon as you start getting up to 50, 70, her face is starting to look more natural, right? So if you have the ability to, like if you're shooting um, an interview uh, with someone, um, a fireside chat, a panel, you wanna be like in the 70 millimeter, 85 millimeter, millimeter range if you can. It's, it's just the, the face looks a lot more pleasing. There's, there's a lot less distortion. If you look at the distortion on the 24 millimeter, it's very pronounced. Okay, so key points on video. Anything above a 50 millimeter lens is gonna look best for the face. Closely resembles the human eye. The human eye Actually, which is why a lot of films are shot in 50 millimeter. The human eye is actually the closest to a 50 millimeter lens Uh, You need to consider the depth of your room to determine the best lens to buy Um, So if you don't have much depth to be able to move that camera back from the tripod from you So if you can't push back too far um, You need to consider that when you're looking at your focal lengths for the lenses you're buying Um, you know you the if, if you don't have as much space to move the camera back from your subject or from you, you're, you're gonna wanna go in a lower focal length, like a 35 millimeter. Um, I have the camera very close to my desk in order to get that, a better bokeh, and I, I'm at a 35 millimeter. I can push the camera back further and I'll be able to get more of the room, but again, um, I'm gonna lose a lot of that sort of bokeh that I love um, in, in achieving. Uh, you need to consider the depth of your room again for the lens you're going to buy when considering a lens zoom lenses are going to give you the most options for focal length but won't have low apertures and prime lenses will have lower apertures but you're stuck with the focal length so you know, this is really important to remember if you buy a 50 millimeter or a nifty 50 you're stuck at 50 millimeters you're not you're not going in any other focal length so if you need any changes to that, you're going to have to move your camera around. Whereas with the zoom lens, you can adjust that lens and get that perfect focal length. You can get that perfect view in perfect shot. Again, there's nothing wrong. I don't want any of you to go on Twitter and say, Alyssa said zoom lenses are bad. That's not what I'm saying. I own a number of zoom lenses. Um, the Sigma art series lenses are phenomenal lenses. Um, I, I really love that 1835 lens. Um, just Sigma makes good lenses, and they're not too expensive. Uh, prime lenses will have lower apertures. Uh, good focal lengths for prime lenses in small rooms are 18, 25, 35. If you're in a small room, uh, you're really gonna want that lower aperture. But remember, what did I say about the lower, um, sorry, aperture, uh, focal length? Remember what I said about the focal lengths. The lower the focal length, the more distorted the face is gonna look. So you know, just be careful with that, be cognizant of that. Um, I'm willing to deal with it with the 35 millimeter. Um, I might switch to a 50 or higher at some point, but right now I'm at a 35 and I, I'm, I'm okay with the level of distortion. It's not too bad. Um, or a zoom lens of 18 to 35, the blurry background or cinematic look is called bokeh. It doesn't matter if you have a $10,000 red camera or an iPhone lighting and sound is everything. I, I can't stress that enough. Um, you know, don't, Don't put, you know, don't empty out your bank account for a red monstro um, if you don't understand lighting. It's, 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 it really is everything. Uh, Shutter speed should be double the frame rate you're shooting. So if you're shooting at 24 frames per second, you should be shooting a shutter speed of 148th of a second or 180 degrees on a cinema camera lens like a Blackmagic Pocket cinema camera. Okay, so I need to talk about this. Um, Cinema lenses, cinema cameras will operate in degrees instead of um, timing like seconds. So on a regular DSLR, you'll see like 1 of a second, um, depending on what kind of camera you've got. But a lot of the cinema lenses, you'll you'll be in degrees. Now the Blackmagic bodies, camera bodies, will allow you to switch between degrees and timing. Um, but just remember that if you're shooting at 24 frames per second, which is the 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 frames per second that typical films are shot in, um, it's, it creates that nice blur, which is more real to the human eye uh, when moving your hand. It's not too, uh, it's you know, it's not too fast, not too slow. It's tw- usually 23.97 frames per second or 24 fps. Um, if you're shooting at 24 fps, your your shutter speed needs to be 148. That's double it. So take your frame rate and whatever you're shooting at. So let's say you're shooting at 50 frames per second or 125 frames per second you double that number and that's the shutter speed that you want to be at so it's a really easy and simple way to figure out your shutter speed on your camera okay okay so lighting is my favorite subject to talk about. Uh, This slide does a great job, I think, at presenting the different lighting techniques and what they are. So you have side lighting where the light is basically blasting on one side of your face, leaving the other side of your face dark. On Paramount lighting, you've got your camera and your light coming from the same direction. Um, So that's Paramount. Main light placed above two feet above the subject's face and angled down. Um, With Rembrandt lighting, which is uh, my favorite lighting technique, you'll see it in pretty much all my videos. I don't know if a lot of you should be able to see like a a lit triangle right below my eye right here. That's Rembrandt lighting. Um, it's, it's, It's identified by that triangle under the eye on the dark side of the face. Now, one of the mistakes that I've seen people make when using Rembrandt lighting is they'll put the camera on the lit side of the face. When you're using Rembrandt lighting, you always want the camera to be on the shaded side of the face. So on my setup here, you can see the light is coming down and hitting this side of my face, and my camera is shooting from the left side where it's more darkened in the shadow. Uh, Rembrandt lighting is very commonly used in Hollywood. It's the most commonly seen lighting technique you guys guys and girls will notice it in movies Um, Marvel loves using Rembrandt Uh, Avengers Iron Man, it's a very intense sort of lighting so you wouldn't really use Rembrandt lighting in a a happy-go-lucky scene where people are joking around and, and you know making jokes and Laughing—it's just—it's used more for an intense scene. My wife and I, Mel, are, are addicted to Blue Bloods. It's a cop show. And whenever you see them interrogating a suspect uh, in the interrogation room, they use Rembrandt It's a very intense kind of lighting. Even in this this slide deck right here, you can see—you know—if you can compare that these this shot and this shot—it's a very intense-looking frame. Um, versus something like Paramount lighting or side lighting, uh, it's it's not as intense. So here with Rembrandt, your main light is placed about two feet above the subject's face and angled down. On side lighting modified, you have a, a key light here, key light here, and they're just blasting against the face. Um, and you've got the camera in front of the subject, so there's no dark sides of the face. Um, it's just something, uh, just a look depending on what you want to achieve. Okay, so, and finally we have Rembrandt lighting modified where you have a light bouncing off of the background and that's gonna provide us some subtle lighting on the subject from behind. A silver reflector for a fill placed vertically beside the subject. So you've got a silver reflector here and that's gonna reflect more light off the main light and bounce it towards the subject. And then you have a white reflector placed flat on opposing table. Um, and that is going to basically light from underneath and then you have a main light above about two feet above the face and angled down and that's going to reflect that main light so you've got a hair light a main light reflector bounce off of a wall uh... and then a white reflector here bouncing upwards towards the chin so these are all just different lighting techniques um, it's it's really not rocket science um, you know, I wish someone had really explained this to me very early on, but it took me a while to learn it. Um, I, you know, I mean, I think if you're, if you're saying, okay, Alyssa, what, which one do you recommend? I mean, Rembrandt looks great. It's very cinematic looking. So if you want that cinematic look, go for that. Paramount looks really nice. Um, you know, it really just depends. With the ring light, you're going to get more of a Paramount look, right? So it's single key light source right in front of or above the camera and it's shining on your face. That's going to be more of a paramount lighting look. Um, I I prefer more cinematic looking stuff, so I go with Rembrandt. So again, the Rembrandt lighting technique is the most common. Uh, This is uh, identified by this triangular shaped uh, light uh, right underneath the eye on the the shadow side of the face. It's used very commonly in Hollywood, like I said, identified with half the face darkened out in a triangle shape beneath the shaded eye. Never shoot from the lit side of the face. Position camera from the shaded side. So that is Rembrandt. And here's just examples of Rembrandt. Again, I you know Marvel uses this quite commonly. So here on uh, Tony Stark's face, you can see that triangle underneath his eye. Um, here, you've got it right here. Pretty cool. I like the way it looks. It's just very cinematic looking. Yeah, very cool. My favorite movie, by the way. Love Iron Man. All right, so. Learn the exposure triangle. This is really important for you to know. Um, We talked about aperture and aperture is basically how much light uh, is let in to the sensor to be able to create the image. So uh, aperture defines how much light is let in and that's based on F-stops. So F-16 is actually a smaller hole for the light to come through which means that it's going to be a lot darker. Your image is going to be a lot darker. The lower your f-stop, the brighter it's going to be. So I know it seems like it's reversed or flipped, but the higher, just remember this, the higher the f-stop, the smaller the hole. So less light comes in, it's going to be darker. The lower the f-stop or lower the aperture, the brighter it's going to be because it's going to be a bigger hole. More light's going to be let in. All right. So we talked about, you know, the more expensive lenses um, being able to go lower uh, on the aperture scale. uh, That's going to be a much more expensive lens. Uh, It's just going to be able to let in more light, basically. Um, Shutter speed. Shutter speed, again, is always going to be twice the frame rate that you're shooting at, frames per second that you're shooting at. Um, So this is one eighth of a second. If your shutter is one eighths. It's it's going to pretty much look like that, incredibly blurry. Uh, when you <clears throat> when you have a slower shutter speed, right? It's it's basically grabbing more of the image. This is going to look amazing with waterfalls. It's going to look you're gonna it's going to look more kind of blurry. Uh, so it's great for moving water. Um, and then your faster shutter speed. Uh, it's it's not going to get any of that blur it's going to be that subject if that subject is running you're not going to see that sort of um, what do you call that blur trail or whatever that you get on a slower shutter speed so one one thousandth of a second on shutter speed it's just gonna you're just gonna hear snap that's it it's done right quick snap grab it there's not going to be any any blur Um, and then on a slower shutter speed you're gonna, you're gonna hear. It. It's gonna open, it's gonna click, and then it's gonna click again. You're gonna hear it open and close, right? So that's the shutter speed. The slower the shutter speed, the more of that blur trail you're gonna get if the subject is moving. This, it's not something, it's not like, okay, well, what's better, what's worse? It just, it, there's no such thing, there's no wrong answer to that. It's whatever you're shooting. If you're wanting to grab something to show motion, uh, like, for example, a waterfall, then you could use a slower shutter speed and you're gonna get that frosty sort of Um, milky look of the of the water because it's the shutter is open longer it's grabbing more motion so it's gonna be what do you call it frothy you know I'm sure you've seen those those photos with the frothy look above the water that's a slower shutter speed so for ISO um, the bright the higher the ISO the brighter the image is gonna be now, adjusting all of these gives you your brightness or your exposure, right? But the higher you go up in ISO, look at that grain. Look at that grain on that image. The lower the ISO, the less grainy. The higher the ISO, the more grainy. Um, you know, this is where on your, for example, if you're shooting a shot with your iPhone, you know, how Apple, every time they come out with a new, fine, a uh, new iPhone, they're, they're they'll, they'll be something like shoots better in lower light, um, scenarios, you know, uh, it's, I'm sure you've taken those shots at nighttime where you had very little light and, and it looked grainy. You can see like little dots on the image that's because of the ISO. It's trying to still get that shot in low light conditions, but what it's doing is it's adjusting that ISO and the higher your ISO goes in order to get a clear shot, the more grainy it's gonna look. So you always want your ISO as low as possible, especially when you're shooting, when you're trying to go for that bokeh effect, you want that ISO as low as it can go. And then you adjust your brightness with the aperture uh, and the shutter speed. But, you know, it's, it's just something to remember that the higher you go up in ISO, the more grainy it's gonna be. All right, green screens, or also called chroma keys. I wanna put this out there. I'm sorry if I offend anyone by saying this, but I hate it. I don't understand it. You see, you know, I'm watching CNBC in the morning with my wife while having coffee, and you see these news anchors who, during the pandemic, and they're working from home, and, and they've got the camera on them. These, these anchors and these, 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 uh, these people that are calling in, and, and they know they're going to be on national television, and they ha- they're making millions a year, right? Like these anchors, especially on CNBC, make a lot of money. Their salaries are in the millions. And then they've got this, they've got no green screen and they're trying to do that blur effect with Zoom. And then you see this chunky stuff around them. It's so, it's so bad. I, look, I'm all about if you're gonna do it, do it right, right? So it's really cheap to go out to Amazon and buy a collapsible green screen. I've got two of them, like different sizes. They're like, they're not expensive. I think they're 80 bucks, 100 bucks, they're not expensive. If you're gonna do a virtual background in Zoom, if you're gonna do uh, a, you know, uh, the, the blur effect in Zoom, please use a green screen. Just use a green screen. It's not that hard. The green screens are awesome. It lets you do, if you go to my YouTube channel, you can see me in these different homes with a virtual video background with the fireplace. One with, I'm I looks like I'm at a beach house. It's so perfectly done with the green screen that I've had a lot of people think that that was my actual house. There's good uh, virtual backgrounding and bad virtual background, I don't know if that's a word, virtual backgrounding, but it, I'm making it a word. Just, if you're gonna do a virtual background, if you're gonna do that zoom blur effect, get a green screen, please. It, it just, it looks awful when you've got that crispy stuff going on around you while you're doing it. All right, it's also called chroma King. Um, You need to make sure if you're going to be doing green screens that you light it properly. If you're going to green screen, you need to make sure that you stay as far away from that green screen as possible. I've seen people set up a green screen and stand right up next to it. What you don't realize is that when you actually light the green screen, the green will actually reflect off the board and hit you and it it messes up the the software and how it's doing the chroma key and will, will eat into your actual body and, and look really bad. So you want to stand as far away from the green screen as possible and you want to properly light it. You also don't want any shadows from you on the green screen. So you want to light the green screen, like in this image here you can see a backlight over here lighting the subject and then you have two screen lights that are designed to sit there and light the green screen. Um, here you've got a key light, fill light. You're, you're, you're lighting your subject. You just want to be very well lit when you're doing any sort of green screening. Properly light your subject or you, and properly light the green screen. Stand as far away from the green screen as possible, and make sure that the green screen is properly lit. Um, a good software application to use with chroma key support is a software called is an application called Wirecast. I use it, it's what I'm using to, f- to actually film this video right now, is is Wirecast. Um, and then uh, create a virtual camera that is supported by Zoom teams. So Wirecast has this virtual camera support, which is actually really cool. What it does is when you're in Wirecast, you can go up to the menu and actually start virtual camera and then what you can do is go into Zoom and then select the Wirecast virtual camera and your your computer thinks it's your webcam. And if you're chroma keying and Wirecast and you've got this virtual background going on, you can bring that into Zoom, which is how I've been doing it. It's a virtual camera pulled from Wirecast and I do all my chroma keying in Wirecast. I don't rely on applications like Zoom or Microsoft Teams to do my chroma keying for me. It just doesn't have the kind of power that an application like Wirecast Uh, uh, supports. So make sure again your green screen is properly lit, there's no shadows, properly light you with key light, stay as far away from the green screen as as possible and when shopping look for as white as possible. Um, You don't have to worry about buying this big huge metal stand and green screen for you. You don't have to do that. They have these really amazing portable green screens now that that go all the way up and will stay there and then you just collapse it when you're done with it. That's what I've got, they're collapsible green screens. Uh, I will link to all of the things that I'm talking about in the comment section of this video. And that's it for this episode of Nightlife on ITSP Magazine. We covered camera bodies, we covered lenses, lighting techniques all of the things that you want to know about the camera, lighting, and lenses. In the next episode in this series, we're gonna cover audio mixers, interfaces, microphones, and more, as well as the different room setups. So with that, I'll end with a question of the day. What camera body do you shoot with? Tell me in the comments below. Tell me what your preferred camera and your focal length and lenses when you're shooting your videos, and I'll make sure to get back to you. With that, take care of yourselves and each other
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode of nightlife on itsp magazine with Alyssa knight if you learned something new and this podcast made you think then share itspmagazine.com with your friends family and colleagues if you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations sponsor one or more of our podcast channels